On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Probably the first album I sat down and really went, oh shit, I'm being moved by this. Like, I like stuff that makes me feel. And Nebraska, I could relate to those people in a way I hadn't related to his other material, just partially. I mean, my dad had once seen uh, Charles Starkweather, is that the guy's name? Killing Spree guy. My dad had been to a prison in his role as a principal or something. I don't know. Anyway, and somebody said, hey, there's Charles Starkweather. So these are Midwest people. I felt more connected to those stories. And I had gotten a little older. I was an angsty, what, teen year old, probably when I discovered Nebraska, something like that. It just moved me incredibly, and and I was I was stuck after that. I love Born in the USA, and Tunnel of Love I think is maybe his most underappreciated record. I still pop that one on quite a bit. And welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. And joining me tonight is um, another in my series of the small, I guess a bigger circle than I thought. There is a subset of Bruce Springsteen fans and comic book professionals. And there yes. is a, the, the circles, the circle, you know, kind of they, they intersect. I have Andy Parks. He has done work on Green Arrow. He has done all kinds of other comic work. We are going to have to talk about his run on the Lone Ranger comic, but we are mostly here to talk about Bruce and Andy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. So um, why don't you give us a tell us a, give us your elevator pitch? Tell us a little about yourself. <laughs> well, I've been like you said. I, I started out as a comic book inker. Uh, I've been doing that for close to thirty years. I hate to say, but I think it's true. Um, and then about twenty years ago, I started writing as well. So I've inked a lot of stuff. Like you said, I tend to make my living inking guys in tights punching each other. I'm best known for Green Arrow and. Uh, Nightwing, a lot of work with Phil Hester. He's like my art partner. And then I've written a bunch of graphic novels. Um, I wrote one called Union Station, one called Capote in Kansas. I wrote a book called Ciudad that came out like six years ago that recently turned into the Netflix film Extraction. So that was like my big. That's kind of, that's got to be cool, yeah. right? <laughs> so I did a lot of podcasts around, what was that, April when that came out. Uh, so that was super cool uh, to see something finally hit the screen after a lot of flirtations over the years. And uh, like you said, I've written some some licensed characters to uh, Green Hornet. Uh, really proud. I got to do 25 issues of Lone Ranger that I'm very proud of. And I'm a lifelong Kansan. And I don't know, I've been a big Bruce fan since, I think since somebody gave me a copy of The River when I was still in high school. 
Now that's that's an interesting origin story as we talk about it. Um, I also I saw you tweeted um, a sketch of sweetness today um, as we're yeah, talking yeah. about this. That's um, uh, I think fans of football everywhere, um, you know, he, he was just uh, Gail Sayers, right? He was yeah. just not sweetness. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Walter. Right. It's yeah. okay. I knew who you yeah. meant. Yeah, Gail Sayers. Yes, yes, Bears. Yes. See, I need to edit that out. I was talking about this. <laughs> uh, yo, but just um, absolutely um, a, a football hero, and, and I saw you tweeted because he originally from Kansas, right? Also a Kansan, yeah, and played yeah. at KU, and by all accounts, just a really remarkable gentleman in addition to being a great player. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I always like to go to the beginning. So talk about growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to? I guess I was fairly primed for Bruce because uh, there was a lot of Johnny Cash on in my household. And uh, you wouldn't call Johnny Rock, but I think... I think Bruce carries on a lot of the traditions of Johnny. I absolutely established. agree with that. Um, my dad was also a huge CCR fan. And uh, Simon and Garfunkel, my, my dad's favorite song is The Boxer from uh, Bridge Over Trouble Water, so we heard that record a lot. And then I, I remember a lot of the year Will the Circle Be Unbroken came out. We took a trip to Colorado and drove all, you know, just drove everywhere. And listen to that record on a loop. So that music is also really ingrained in my head. That kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, back then they used to call it old-timey music, but you call yeah. it bluegrass, Americana, whatever. Did you watch Ken Burns' documentary on country western? Country music? Yes, yeah, yeah. They talked about those sessions a lot. I like that stuff. They did. I thought that was just a brilliant documentary. And um, in, you... It is. I thought it was interesting, the to kind of give a similar, like you know, um, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and you know, you kind of build on comics from that to mm-hmm. see, you know, the the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers and how everything flowed, you know, flowed from that, that, right. you know, when you talk about how even modern, like a, 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 Mar- a Marty Stewart, you know, was directly from that, you know, you can connect to the dots on that. I thought it was amazing. I, I'm a big yeah. nitty gritty dirt band fan as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so, when you started getting into high school and getting a little bit older, did your musical taste change? When did you find your own musical voice? Probably. So the earliest stuff that I loved that I knew my my dad would have liked, but he, I never was exposed to it through him. I, I became a real Buddy Holly junkie when I was in high school. And then I had my big Beatles phase. What led uh, you to Buddy? Was it the movie? I actually no, I don't think so. I think I loved him before that movie came out, um, and I can't honestly tell you. Um, I think I had a greatest hits album, and by the time yeah. I was done, I had that box set, sure, the complete Buddy Holly on vinyl, which uh, in the intervening years I lost that, but I acquired another one because it was kind of dear to me. Yeah. Um, and I still, when I'm really stuck and feeling kind of like I don't have any roots in the world. I put on Buddy and that just somehow that connects me with with my uh, surroundings every time. It, it's just 
his stuff seems so pure to me. I discovered him because of the movie, and mm-hmm. I, I agree. There is – I have a couple of his CDs, and like some of the – they did a remastered of um, a CD, I think like in the early 80s that they did. Um, and I remember just wearing that CD out, yeah. uh, just everything. And then um, and then to bring it back, right, the, uh, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band did several covers of Buddy Holly songs, like their version of Rave On. I just mm-hmm. adore. It just yeah. is so full of energy and are there. Uh, that's, you know, and I and we certainly know that Bruce um, has a lot of love for uh, Buddy's music. Right. Yeah. I think all those guys that we grew up that um, who were contemporaries or putting out music when we were formative like that, they all worship Buddy. You know, from the Beatles to Bruce. He was just such a touchstone for all those people. And, you know, uh, you have to point out that because he didn't live very long, it it helps develop this um, extra special connection, I think. that there's all, He represents all this potential as well um, that we get to create in our mind about where would Buddy have been headed. And, and uh, it's, it's terribly sad that we don't have more of his music, but it helps – you know, turn him into a myth that that can build him up bigger than he even was. I think. Yeah, I remember um, George R. R. Martin did a series, uh, and other writers, Melinda Sigrass, uh, Wild Cards. You know that mm-hmm. series. And I remember then, that. And then one of them, there was a short story that Buddy Holly had not died in the plane crash, oh, cool. and that they. Um, they they had him perform, and it ended up he ended up having that gene as well. But um, mm-hmm. I, I've I've often I think that's an interesting thought about if he had not passed away, what kind of career would he have had? Because it seems like he was really pushing, and 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 musical boundaries and was such a gifted artist. Yeah. So absolutely, I think that's it's interesting. I was just playing his uh, apartment demos for my wife the other night. And um, those things are so pure. It's just him and his guitar. Yeah. But if you listen to the last sessions he was involved in, um, very string heavy. Yes. Um, none of those cricket style vocals, you know. Yeah. No. That's why I'm so offended by that. Uh, Norman Petty put together a version of Peggy Sue Got Married after he died. That's just almost right. all backup vocals, and it. it's just oh, I can't stand it because I, I just don't think that's where Buddy was headed. I think he no. was headed into more. Like true love know. ways and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, that's great. Um, you mentioned earlier that someone gave you the river in high school. As far as you can tell, that's your earliest exposure to Bruce. I believe so, and I don't think I was quite ready for it. Um, I don't think I was old enough to relate to the stories he was telling. Absolutely, it struck me as a little dark. It was. It is pretty dark. It is. Um, and, and so I appreciated it. Uh, and then I went, okay, yeah, I don't know. And then I got exposed again when Nebraska came out, and I was closer to ready. And then uh, I was living with a guy who played uh, Born in the USA all the time, and we all loved that record, and my buddy just played it. And I never got tired of it. 
And then uh, eventually we'll probably get to talking about shows. And that's around the time I had my first Bruce show that didn't happen. And that's a story. Oh, good. Yeah, I want to hear that. You know, I, I, I tell the story. My first musical obsession, I graduated in high school in 77. You know, I was a top 40 radio kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, went through, you know, Elton John and Queen and Barry Manilow and, and you know, all the, you know, Eagles and all this other stuff. But my first true obsession was when I bought an eight-track Endless Summer of the Beach Boys and just became obsessed mm-hmm. with them. Just just yeah. every every Beach Boy eight-track I could find because back then it was eight-tracks. <laughs> um, and when I bought Pet Sounds, I didn't get it. I wasn't mm-hmm. ready for it. And then later came back to it and went, oh, my goodness, how did I not understand right? what this yeah. was, right? So I think the same thing. Um, one quick story. Uh, I was at one show. I think it was Nashville. And uh, somebody had a sign that said, today's my 19th birdie, birthday. Play the river. And we're like, do you know what the river is? Right. I'm like, do you, do, you, do you, this is not a song to celebrate your birthday. Right. I mean, just because it mentions 19th birthday, I just don't know if I, woohoo, hey, let's celebrate. So, uh, well, so tell me, tell me the story of the show that didn't happen. So, uh, this was 84. Five, I guess. Uh, it was when the Born in the USA tour came to Kansas City. I was living in Lawrence, Kansas, a college town. Kind of not going to class very much. So, um, And we had a shaky, my roommates and I had a shaky, shady friend who was going to get us tickets. And he had a girlfriend that was, they were a very explosive couple. And I was a friend of hers and somewhat a friend of his. And they were always fighting and We'd been over there once to confront him, like, look, where are these tickets? We gave you money. And like, ah, screaming. And so anyway, the night of the show, we still don't have tickets. And our a knock on our apartment door, and it's John, this guy who's supposed to give us the tickets, and his girlfriend, Cheryl, and they burst in, and they're screaming and crying, and he throws the tickets on a table, and says, there's your tickets. But they're having this big blow-up, and... I don't feel like I can leave this girl with this guy. And so I don't know what to do, but finally I said, guys, I'm not going. Take my car. They didn't have a car. Take my car, go to the show, scout my ticket if you can, whatever. This is just not going to happen. So they head out to the show. Somehow the explosive guy gets outside of my apartment and starts pounding on my door. I tell him if he keeps pounding, I'm going to call the cops. He keeps pounding. I call the cops. So he gets... Turns out he has an outstanding warrant, so he gets arrested. So now I haven't gotten to go to the show. The cops have come to my house, arrested this guy. <laughs> I'm stuck with this girl in my apartment who I'm not dating, uh, uh, and I'm trying to console her. Around that time, my girlfriend calls from another town to tell me that she's breaking up with me. So, wow. <laughs> and then my roommates call from the concert to say that they're going to be late getting home because they burn out the clutch on my car and they got to get a ride. You were living <laughs> a Springsteen show song that night. I mean, right. like, you know. And then they come home, they tell me my car is busted. Uh, I got no girlfriend. Uh, they got busted trying to scout my ticket so they could only get face value. They hand me like 40 bucks. 
And they tell me the tickets were amazing. It was like second row. It was the best thing we ever seen. I was like, Jesus Christ. That is so, that is so <laughs> sad. So I learned that night that I am not a suicidal guy because just about everything went wrong. And I was still sitting there like, well, I don't know. Sorry. What, what can you do? And I took that as a sign that maybe Bruce and I were not meant to happen live. Okay. And I did not see him until my buddy uh, Jason Aaron, who's a comic book writer, took me. He ended up with an extra ticket to the Magic Tour, and I finally saw Bruce sitting a little bit behind the stage in Kansas City, and uh, that was amazing. And I'm glad I got to see him once with Clarence, because uh, then I've seen. I saw him one more time. I took my family to see him on the. Wrecking Ball? Did he tour with Wrecking Ball? Yes, in Kansas. Yeah. In Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. yeah. And that was with Clarence's nephew, is it? Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was the tour they were doing this amazing tribute to Clarence uh, in East Street Shuffle, if I remember right. Uh, uh, Tenth right? Yeah, Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, where they go. Yeah. They go yeah. when the, when the when the big man joined the band and yes. they stop and they play, you know film of him and everything yeah that was it uh, yeah so only seen him the twice uh and then that aborted attempt that was sad <laughs> so. so um in i'm i'm going to uh my boss time the website that you go that go and it looks like it was november 2012 at the sprint center there in Kansas City. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was I I was there. Uh, oh really? Was, yeah. And um, and I I asked the question. My my buddy Sam and I had gone up there together, and um, I'm like, if you live in Kansas City, are you beaten down by someone doing Kansas City? Like rolling oh. your eyes, <laughs> going, really? You know, like like when someone makes a comment about uh. Texans wearing a cowboy hat or riding a horses, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or are you thrilled? And the audience went crazy when he played yeah. Kansas City. I, I know. I still get a kick out of it. So, yeah, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were. They were just thrilled. That was a good show. Yeah, really good. Yeah. And I was really uh, glad to get to take my kids to see him. That yeah. Cool. That's nice. That's that's really cool. Uh, yeah. Um, so the two times, but – I could see why you're like, okay, me and Bruce, I'll listen to his music by <laughs> yes. far, but this is bad things happen when I try to go to a Bruce right. show. That's, right. that's amazing. Um, as you started getting more into his music, what, why do you think, what do you think about his music spoke to you? What, what about it made you a fan? Probably the first album I sat down and really went, oh, shit, I'm being moved by this. Like, I like stuff that makes me feel. And Nebraska, um, I could relate to those people in a way I hadn't related to his other material, yeah, just partially. I mean, my dad had once seen uh, Charles Starkweather. Is that the guy's name? I believe the, so, yes. The killing spree guy. My dad had been to a prison in, in his role as a uh, principal or something. I don't know. Anyway, and somebody said, hey, there's Charles Darwin. So these are Midwest people. I felt more connected to those stories. And I had gotten a little older. I was an angsty, what, 18-year-old, probably when I discovered Nebraska, something like that. And... Um, 
it just moved me incredibly. And, and I was, I was stuck after that. I love born in the USA. Um, and tunnel of love, I think is maybe his most underappreciated record. I still pop that one on quite a bit. I guess maybe, maybe you can speak to this. I think maybe hardcore Bruce fans, um, still are stung that, that it's not an E street record. Is that true to some extent? I've had a couple of people talk about it. Um, one guy says you need to have had your heart broken a couple of times before mm-hmm. you can appreciate Tunnel of Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the synth gets some people. Same thing on, you know, Born in the USA. You know, it got mm-hmm. overplayed. Um, on um, someone asked me, you know, on like Quora, you know, that website where you can ask anyone anything and. They said, you know, if you could go to dinner with Bruce and discuss any one album, what it would it be? Mm-hmm. And I said, I would probably pick Tunnel of Love just cool. because all that's what's going on. I, I think um, I, I honestly do think it is a story of a marriage breaking apart. Um, I think it yeah, is right. him dealing with the fame of, you know, all of a sudden he became Bruce Springsteen quotes. Like before, mm-hmm. you know, when Born in the USA, I, I don't think he'd ever thought he would be that massive. And, and I think that was an adjustment to him. Um, right. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's I think that's a really um, lovely album that a lot of people may not um, appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. So um, anyway, yeah. back to Nebraska for a yeah. second. To this day. Uh, Atlantic City is my favorite Bruce song. That it kills me every time. I never get tired of it. It hits me just as hard. Yeah. I think it was only a decade ago where I really understood what the hell he was saying, not the words. It it, and I feel so done. Sometimes I just allow songs to wash over me for sure. for decades. Yeah. And I I'm into the vibe. And then I really I really heard that guy saying. Um, you know, maybe everything that dies someday comes back. And I was shit. He, what he's saying is he may not make it through this and he's rationalizing to himself. Yeah. You know, and then the song just changed completely for me. It just, I love it. Um, and I love, I am sad. I do wish I'd seen him more because I've never seen that one live. I've yeah. only seen him twice. He didn't. Yeah. Um, and I love the way that song has evolved into that big live performance with that oh. kind of new new riff that they do in it oh it's just beautiful and you know of you know it has become an e street song even though it was on nebraska right and they do a great job and there's been tons of great versions of it yeah uh you know they have done amazing um so the my story about atlantic city is um a couple years ago uh, we were going to New Orleans to celebrate my birthday. Mm. Um, I was gonna, it was, I was turning 59 and, um, I'm fine, but in context, I was in the middle, I, I had, I had colon cancer and I, so I was in the middle of oh, getting chemo. Wow. And yeah. so we wanted to celebrate. So we went to New Orleans and it was one of the good weeks. Um, you yeah. have, you have, you have, um, two crappy weeks of chemo a week off and then two more crappy weeks right. of chemo and everything. So it was a good week. And so we're in uh, French Street, um, Frenchman Street, not the French Quarter, but where mm-hmm. uh, Treme, the TV series Treme talked a lot. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of clubs there and it isn't as touristy. And we we got we went and 
we're at this um, this little club. I think the Spotted Cat, and um, and so there there's little musicians. It's in the afternoon. It was a a, a singer and a guitarist, and they had someone playing a, a stand-up piano. And um, so they were taking a break, and they were passing the hat. And um, Linda, who's my wife, looked over and go, go ahead. And <laughs> the lady's like, what? I'm like, well, I'm a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. And so she's making fun of me because I'm going to ask you if you can play any Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, Atlantic City is one of my favorite songs. I'll do ah. Atlantic City for you. Um, so and she did. She did and you know and and it was just in fact I, I I took my phone and recorded her doing it because it was such um you know it was so unexpected she was like oh Atlantic City is one of my favorite songs I'll be glad That's to do great. that for you yeah. and then Linda looked over like okay you win you win <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome um great. so by the way I yeah. have a question because I just yeah. looked up while we were talking uh, it was easy to go to the wiki page and see the tour. So it was yeah. November of the 19th, 1984, the show in Kansas City I didn't get to go to. Wow. And he was in Dallas six nights later. Did you see him in 84 in Dallas? No, or were no. You so see, um, I – to give you my backstory, right, uh, I grew up in Louisiana. My dad mm-hmm. was in the Army. We moved around a lot, but when he retired, we moved – my grandparents lived in a small town called Rose Pine, Louisiana, which is just north of – about 60 miles north of Lake Charles, which just okay. got hit by the hurricane. And, yeah, right. Um, so the heel of Louisiana's boot. And, uh, you know, we got Willie Nelson. We got Kenny Rogers. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, you know, we did not get – big bands in Lake Charles as I was growing up. And so graduate high school in 77 was not even aware. In fact, I told the story. I was at a barbershop once and I can't remember if it was time or Newsweek, but the cover when he was on and they said that, um, you know, greatest rock star. And I was like, who's this guy? Have they never heard of Elton John? Have they never heard of, you know, like who are this? Um, So I did not really understand Bruce. I was dating um, a a girl um and we were at a concert and they played i I forgot who we were going to see uh, and they were playing darkness on the edge of town before the show and she's like i really like that and when she you know i went to her house and she was playing the album and i didn't get it and then i started dating who's now my wife linda in 1980 she had a friend named Lisa who went to school on the East Coast, and she came back talking about Bruce Springsteen, how amazing he was. And, you know, I bought the river and, you know, liked Hungry Heart, but didn't really pay attention to it. And like everyone else, I bought Born in the USA and just bought Tonal Love. But I wasn't a yeah. fanatic till 2002 when um, they did that after the towers fell they did that telethon mm-hmm. where they did my city of ruins right yeah yep. and i went god that's beautiful and i bought the rising cd kind of listened to it didn't do a lot but 2002 the rising in dallas was the first show i went to uh, um, cool. just okay. had never had a chance to go before for just various reasons couldn't afford it he wasn't anywhere close to me we moved to dallas in 84 but uh, like 86 and so you know just didn't do it and when 2002 that was it 2002 yeah. i felt like yeah. i'd opened a door to a world you know it you'll appreciate this right like 
you <clears throat> every comic is someone's first comic. And so mm -hmm. therefore, if you're writing, whether it's Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, The Lone Ranger, whoever you want, you've got to make it inclusive enough so they understand what's going on. Right. And um, but if you are you like you pick up, um, you know, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four or Justice League, you're like, I, there's all these stories that I don't know what's going on. That's how I felt at the Bruce show. I was like, I love what I'm doing, but there's so much I don't know. Right. Um, and that's when I became obsessed or passionate, depending on if you talk to my wife, it's obsessed. If you talk to <laughs> me, it's passionate. Uh, and that's when I came. And so cool. much like um, I, I say the analogy is – if you're watching a football game and they someone misses an extra point early in the game, you chase that point the rest of the game. I feel like I'm chasing Springsteen concerts, you know, because I've missed that one. I'm like, I'm at 16, and I'm like, okay, when can I get another one? What can I get another one? So yeah, That's absolutely. A great analogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. By um, the way, just so you yeah. know, I fact checked myself, and I was full of shit. Yeah. The Buddy Holly movie came out in 78, the one with Gary Busey. Yeah. And that might well have kickstarted my – because I probably didn't get super intel until about 80. Okay. So, yeah, it could be. Well, I, and it's not – it's okay if it wasn't. It's just that's yeah, what yeah. led to me, no, it's right? A good like, point, cause it, yeah. it sounded like you were a little older than me. Yeah. I'm 55. And yeah. so I was doing the math like, yeah, no, yeah. you might be right. Yeah, because I'm 61. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, absolutely. Um, so – the reason I reached out to you, not only because of Ron, but you talked about um, Western stars. So, and and you shared something about, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, right? But something about that watching that movie, you know, revitalizes you or does something. So, talk to me a little bit about your feelings about the movie, and and as a fan, what did you think of the music? So, when. When that first single came out, um, Jesus, which is the first one? Um, oh, um, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, Sundown, right? No. I, oh, yeah. See, uh, we're 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 horrible fans. No, we're not. It's, it's not because it's like train. no. It's, uh, mm. Yeah, Hello Sunshine. Yeah, Thank Hello, you. Yes. Very Glen Campbelly. Oh, so Glen Campbell. And. I'm a huge, I'm a big buddy, uh, Gary. Okay, hold on. Yes. <laughs> a big Glenn Campbell fan, and I love that sound so much. I did and, too. Uh, so I was like, oh, this is cool. Yes. Is he doing this kind of AM radio uh, throwback for this record? And that song, the lyrics of that song didn't move me a lot, but then when I started hearing the whole album, um. You know, the gap between Bruce and I is 16 years, I guess. Right. And that's a huge gap when I'm 18. Yes. When I'm 55, um, I can't see the mortality that Bruce is staring down, but I can, I'm on the other end of the tunnel, you know? Yes. Um, and so I could more easily relate to these songs about men at the end of their lives, reevaluating their mistakes and uh, what they're grateful for, all that kind of stuff really spoke to me. And I, every time I talk about the record, I say, look, I am biased because this is a record for largely men of a certain age. <laughs> um, 
It doesn't mean, you know, an 18 year old woman couldn't appreciate no. it, but it really speaks to guys like us who are, have been through a lot and, and are prone to looking back and thinking what we might've done different and how we can move forward in a more healthy way. And the, the movie is so powerful because Bruce takes all that insight that he brought to his autobiography and everything he's gained from therapy. And he just throws it right on the screen. And when, when he says in that movie for 30 years, if I loved you, I would find a way to hurt you. I just think that's one of the most moving things I've ever heard somebody of that status in showbiz admit. Um, and I thought it was so powerful. And then just to, you've seen the film, I assume. Yes, absolutely. Just to see him standing there looking so comfortable and, and his voice sounding so perfect at that age and leading that orchestra, it just, it really just blew me away. Yeah. So, I find I, that about half the time now when I go to listen to the record, yeah. I listen to the movie soundtrack just because I like the sound of it so much. And I love hearing how sharp his voice is in that live setting. Absolutely. A um, couple points. Uh, we go to the movie and um, my my wife's like, yeah, let's, let's go. We'll make a date night of it. And my um, – she her sister – and her, her sister's husband, Mary Clay, um, like we got married the same summer. So we, we have been, you know, Clayton and I have become brothers just because we've been married to sisters, right, for over right. 35 years. Um, so the four of us go and, um, and you know, we, we go through the film. And at one point, Linda reaches over and whispers, how jealous are you of those people in the barn right I'm like, the oh, who were hanging yeah. Out, yeah. I'm like oh you cannot imagine how jealous <laughs> I am and then at the end when they run the credits and they list them they're in the credits I'm mm-hmm. like oh my goodness not only did they get to attend but now then they actually have an IMDB you know <laughs> they, can, they can claim right. uh, yeah um, my parents and if anybody ever says oh bullshit you weren't yeah. there they can go hold on yeah hold on yep <laughs> uh, what's my parents, my mom and dad loved Glenn Campbell. We grew up, my dad loved Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. but my mom especially loved Glenn Campbell. And um, Several years ago, um, before Glenn had died, um, in 2008, he had released the, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but Meet Glenn Campbell, which is an album where he recorded um, – Times Like These, Sing, Walls, modern songs in that Jimmy Webb kind of, you know, right. late 60s, early 70s mode. And I and think I, it was a little after that. So yeah. the Replacements are probably my favorite band ever. Yeah. And he recorded one or two Paul Westerberg songs. Right. Yeah, Sadly Beautiful. Yes. Yes. And, oh, such yeah, and, and so, yeah, and so I just loved him that. And so... Um, Hearing that style, I agree with you. Hello, sunshine, it was did that, and then uh, to have him do, you know, rhinestone cowboy. Is oh, I just, freaked out. Yeah, just so wonderful. <laughs> um, 
and you know my i was greedy i was like couldn't you have picked like three or four more you know springsteen you know e street band songs to do kind of like you did with the seeger sessions Mm -hmm. where you know you could have just done that because i was greedy because that band was so amazing Mm -hmm. and the and i agree with you the setting of the barn and then him sharing so much of himself um you know i i think all the time you know where he says so you walk on through the dark because that's where the next morning is is so especially in this time you know that we're going through so much crap and we're going through so much bad times and and in fact i had one i had a beautiful uh fan you know said that she she didn't like Western Stars because it wasn't the album she wanted from him. Yeah. She wanted an angry political album, and um, and and we had a great discussion about how it wasn't what she wanted. And you know, my point was, uh, you know, at seventy, I'm just thrilled that he's giving us new music. Right. You know, and and if in this creative way is amazing. And when you throw in the autobiography, the Broadway show, and this—it's yeah. a really strong trilogy of telling his life. It is. It's it's cool. I feel a little honored to be talking to you on his birthday. Yes, um, absolutely. I, I think that is very nice. Uh, I posted a little thing about his birthday on Facebook today, and I I posted a quote that I remember from uh, when Jimmy I.O.—is it I.O.V.N. Yeah, I.O.V.I.N. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah was on Howard Stern several years ago and they were talking about Bruce and he said this amazing thing. He said, you don't have anything that Bruce Springsteen wants. In other words, nobody can tempt him to veer off his course uh, because he doesn't care about the showbiz trappings that somebody might offer him. He's on this mission to tell as many stories with his music as he can in the way that he feels is the most powerful at the time. And you can't, he's got everything he needs, you know? Yeah. He does it on his terms because he doesn't have to answer it to anybody. And then well, I'm just so grateful that he keeps doing it. You know, I, I had, uh, you know, he, he just put out last week a letter to you, a new single. Yeah. He's announcing the new album. Um, I personally like the new single. I thought it was great. Um, and, you know, I had a couple people like, oh, this is crap. And, um, <laughs> you know, I can't believe what, why do you, you record an album in five days? This is ridiculous. Now that <laughs> Bruce tells us it was four and they, the fifth day. But, right. you know, uh, you know, I look at it as, um, why would he been there, done that? Like, okay, we've spent months making an album for right. fun. Let's see what happens if we get us all in the, we get us all in the studio and let's say, Let's try to put a clock on it. What can we do if we do it quickly? Um, I think that's beautiful. Didn't it feel liberating to you? I read the Rolling Stone thing yesterday. And I I love the notion of him just saying, screw it, let's go in. All I bring is a guitar demo. And you guys do your parts. You know what you're fucking doing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, 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 it, it, yes, I found it very liberating. And I think very, you know, I'm like, I appreciate the fact the guys are going, yeah, we can do this. You know, mm-hmm. why why couldn't we do that? And it was because, uh, as you said, I have nothing. He's got nothing to prove. Right. Um, you know, I, I've done this. 
um, you know, we, um, you know, if you, if Born to Run isn't one of the, I will not say Born in the Run is the greatest rock song ever written, but it's mm. in the discussion. Yeah. Right. Like, like I, I heard that a long time ago, like when someone was talking about Joe Montana and, you know, I'm a cow, <laughs> you know, I, I live in Dallas. Right. But they right. said if Joe Montana isn't the greatest quarterback of all time, he's in the discussion. Right. You can't have the discussion without discussing him. And, and I think that, you know, what do you got to prove? Um, yeah. And I also I think um their narration and the, and the not only are the performances absolutely beautiful, but the little scenes between and them putting you know where home movies of him and Patty and and you know old footage and adding that it is a beautiful film. Yeah, I was very impressed by it, and yeah. I I think with somebody being less honest than he was being, yeah, I think there was a possibility that those those segments could have been pretentious you know the slow-mo walking through the horse yeah barn and but when he's laying out the kind of truth he is yeah you can't judge him um it's okay the director wanted him to look cool fine but at the same time he's absolutely burying his soul yeah. in those songs and then personally and i love that connection that he builds he says here's what i've been through yeah that helps inform these songs about other characters and so when you listen to the songs about other characters you're they're all imbued with that uh, struggle that you know he's been through you know i i really feel um and i've mentioned this before western stars almost feels like a collection of elmore leonard short stories yes, or you know right. that 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 weathered you know story and they're great people um i think all of bruce's work all of his best work lends you to pondering the rest of that character's life yeah um and western stars is really good at that i mean that one song about the stuntman i think you only know it's a stuntman because of the title i mean he mentions right. making a movie but um and it just leads you to diving into that person's life in a really interesting way that I never get tired of. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I tweeted just um, a few minutes ago, uh, I guess back in 2016, Literary Hub did a a fake article that um, was all about um, in the premises, if Bruce Springsteen wrote a short story collection. And they said everything that dies someday comes back is the uh. new collection of short <laughs> stories that's coming out. Um, and, you know, awesome. and they, yeah, and they talk about that, um, you know, it's a collection of short stories that he wrote. And I said, if only, how cool would this be? Yeah. Um, you know, your friend Ron mentioned he was on the show um, about a month or so ago, and I was asking him about these um from my home to yours the springsteen you know that uh east street radio he's uh, doing the dj sessions and and i'm serious and i don't think i've heard one yet. oh gonna, you, I, they're probably on the app i can probably yes get they are if you get them on the app you can get cool. them um uh, they're on demand but, but ron uh said 
okay, we know he's a brilliant storyteller. Why are we shocked that he can tell a story by <laughs> weaving, you know, <laughs> stories along with, with 45s and other songs? Um, yeah, to celebrate his birthday, yeah. they re-showed them all. They replayed them today, but they're on the app. And, yes, oh, it is cool. worth yeah. listening to. Um, it's like, have you ever had the thought that he would probably be a really effective actor if he wanted to be? Yes, I do. Like, if, if he had the acting bug the way like Elvis wanted to make movies. Right. You know, and, and I think he has no interest in that. Um, I was yeah. shocked uh, when he was on Turner. T- Turner TCM. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. TCM where um, the guy was talking about, you know, they had the films he picked out, which way they're great films. And then um, he talked about, I don't like my voice. That's why I would never oh, do yeah. an album of like covers and, you know, as a fan, I'd like, oh, I'd love for you to do a Johnny Cash, you know, album or yeah, you know, yeah. like this one here, just some different things. Yeah, I absolutely do think. And, um, you know, I've talked to other writers, you know, the honesty he had in that autobiography, that how much he shared about himself is just pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't yeah. think you can be a truly great singer. If you're not an actor at heart, because if you're not feeling that character when you're singing it, you, it you're not going to move the audience. And that's what it's about. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I promise we won't spend long on this, but I, I, I told you before we started recording, um, I absolutely adored your series on the Long Ranger. Um, there were some great stories there. Um, you, just share with me a little bit about how you got selected and what was your mindset getting to write this iconic character? So I have to confess, I came into it as not a big fan. And okay. um, what happened was I'd done a lot of work at dynamite. I'd written yeah. the green Hornet series. I wrote a Cato series and basically Nick Brucci, the, the publisher there brought me in because of my Kevin Smith connection. He right. Thought, well, Kevin was writing these now Andy people will see Andy's name and you know, yeah. Nick is a smart guy. He knows how to market stuff. Sure. So I wrote a lot of that stuff. And then he said, how would you like to write a Death of Zorro series? Oh, uh, okay. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to get to kill off Zorro. I made four issues about his poignant struggle and then his noble death in the issue four. And uh, he goes, no, he actually dies in the first issue and the Lone Ranger has to figure out why. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> how is it called Death of Zorro? What is yeah. that? And I was like, Crap! I I got her. I I mean I I knew Clayton Moore. I, yeah. That was about it. And so I handed in my first script, and my editor said, "Eh, better try again on the Lone Ranger part." And I was like, "Okay." So I reread the twenty-five issues that had come before us, their first Dynamite series, and I went, "Okay, I think I need to stop approaching this just as what I remember from Clayton Moore." Um, I need to approach it as more of this, you know, slightly more serious, uh, vengeful presence in the West and all that. So I got through the death of Zorro, kind of figuring out who Lone Ranger and Tonto were and what I wanted to say with them. And then they said, would you like to now do our new Lone Ranger series? And I was like, okay. And I felt a lot of pressure because I thought those series before me was really good. And they are. It was a good series. Very they're important characters. You don't want to, you don't want to get them wrong. So my first issue was pretty good. I felt like a little stiff. And then the second issue, I, it just clicked. 
And somewhere along the way, somewhere in writing one and two, I realized that what I wanted to write about was Tonto and Lone Ranger and why they've chosen each other and what they mean to each other and what that relationship tells us about them and about the Old West and all that. So pretty, I tend to hang all my stories on a grand theme of some kind, and hopefully it never beats you over the head, but it's there. It, it informs me as I'm working on it. And to me, all my stories, that's what they're about at their heart. They're like, why did these two guys choose each other? What do they each get out of it? Um, how do they prop each other up at the right time? All, all that stuff. And then I just hung on that as much cool old Western stuff as I could think. I mean, you know, some of them are big six issue arcs where I get to write a grand thing. Some are just quick hitters. And I pretend I'm right. I've been called in to write an episode of the, the rifleman, you know? And, uh, so I got to tell all kinds of stories about the West. I got to bring him into Kansas and tell stories about places that mean a lot to me. And uh, it's just stuff I'm really proud of. And the the arc, I'm, I'm going on a bit here, forgive me. No, the no, arc no, I'm please. really proud of is our second arc tells a story that I don't think had ever been told before, which was why Tonto was alone to find the loner. Like, why wasn't he with a tribe? Wasn't he with a family? Why was he roaming around all by himself to find the Lone Ranger? So we told that backstory, which led us into their bond a little stronger. And so... Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that stuff because it means a lot to me. Yeah, I, I really the humanity and the idea that they are um, this this bond and friendship and and um, like we were just talking before I uh, we hit record that you you're mentioning your wife is a big Doctor Who fan mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I think when the very best Doctor Who episodes is when the people on the TARDIS, the Doctor and his companions, are a family. And, yeah. and there is a reason why they hang together and do that. And I think that's what you did is there was a sense of family and why, you know, Tonto isn't a sidekick. He is his partner. Right. He is Absolutely. There, you know, there is a reason why these two... Um, guys are pursuing what they're pursuing. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it was really, really well done. And now that I'm like, I'm going to have to dig up my back issues or, you know, <laughs> if you go to reread those stories again because it was just a lot of fun. Cool. And if listeners want to find that second arc, I, I, I'm proud of all our stuff, yeah. but especially that second arc. It's called Native Ground. So if you search uh, Lone Ranger Native Ground on. Amazon and places like that. I think you can still get that trade. Yeah, I think you are. I was looking at that, and so yes, and I I really really urge it. Um, what are you working on now? Well, it's been a weird time. I had an inking gig, but uh, it kind of fell apart with our world status. Sure. Um, and so this movie came out in April, and uh, I was kind of consumed by that hype for a while, and then I kind of shamelessly allowed myself to ride that wave for a little longer than I should have maybe, you know, just kind of like, well, hard not huh, to. exhale, you know? Yeah. And now I've got a couple writing projects in development. One is out to a publisher. I'm working on a screenplay and that'll take a while. And then Phil Hester and I are my longtime art buddy. 
we're uh, inking a I'm inking a Superman thing that he penciled right now, which is part of DC's winter event, uh, which Ron Mars is actually writing. Ah, that's kind of, it's all coming together, right? Yes. (laughs) That's great. Yes, yeah, great. Um, Any chance Phil's a Springsteen fan? I can hit the trifecta. I don't know. I don't think like I am. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's... um, An appreciator, but not a fan, I would say. Yeah, it looks like... um, Jimmy Pilato is, and I was like, hey, Jimmy, you should join me on the podcast to talk uh-huh. about that. That's fun. Uh, that's great. Well, I will keep looking for that. And, uh, yes, I will include a link in the show notes of, of your Amazon page. So if people want to check cool. it, I, I think they're great stories and everything else. And um, it, it, yeah. Can you handle one shameless plug? Oh, please, please. Um, I do have a Patreon that I haven't been doing very long. Uh, but I post artwork and I'm posting a novel there kind of on the fly. And there are a couple Lone Ranger things on there. There's like a, a script that you can study and things like that. So fortunately, my name is spelled weird. It's A-N-D-E. So if you search Andy Parks, Andy with an E, you'll find me on every platform, Patreon, Twitter, all that stuff. All right. Very nice. Very good. Um, Andy, what should I have asked you that I didn't? <laughs> Oh boy! So and and Backstreets Magazine just did a a very nice article about uh, the podcast and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> he, uh, Ken who wrote the article shared the reason why I asked that um, and I always feel bad sharing this story but gosh a couple of years ago I had a guy on and it was a good interview it was you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he was okay. I mean, not as filled with as many stories as you, but it was a fine interview. And so about 40 minutes into it, you know, we're out of stories. And so I thank him and, you know, and we're wrapping up afterwards. I've, you know, I quit recording and he says, Oh, next time I'm on, I'm going to have to tell you the time I got drunk with the E street band. Oh, <laughs> like, shit. exactly. Like what, <laughs> <laughs> how do you not lead with the story? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um i now ask that question hey like did oh, you ever get drunk amazing. with the street band uh so no, I, <laughs> the closest i do have some friends in the band world that are, are yeah will be impressive to some people um los lobos is one of my very favorite bands oh yeah and uh if you like bruce i think most people would like los lobos they're brilliant musicians who tell absolutely Similar stories about America, but from a different point of view, you know. Um, and I've gotten to be friends with those guys. Uh, Louis Perez is a good friend of mine, and um, I do. I'm very grateful that the last two years I got to go to Chicago for their. They do uh, Christmas time gigs at the City Winery there, and for like four nights in a row. Oh, nice! And the last two years I've just gone to Chicago and hung out with Louis and seen the band every night. And, so no, I'm I'm afraid no personal connection to E Street. Just uh, okay. maybe seeing those Lobos. I think I think I saw them do a Bruce cover once, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, that's great. That oh, sounds good. God, right. it's killing me. Yeah. All right, you think you can do this next time? All okay. right. So uh, before I let you go, though, gotta ask you the merry question. So yeah. for those of you who have may never heard the podcast before. Um, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. Um, he uh, teaches um, his English classes, and every year his seniors in the honors English class, they take Thunder Road and they break it down as a poem. Um, he, oh. They go through all the lyrics, 
uh, they discuss the imagery that Bruce used. He compares it to uh, Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. Cool. Uh, and at the end of the two days, he looks at the class and says, okay, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So, uh, Andy, what's, that's your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I don't know what this says about me, but it's never really even occurred to me that she didn't. No, that most people don't. Most people, really? when okay. I ask the question, they go, what do you mean? Of course she does. What, why are you asking this question? <laughs> so yeah, um, that's interesting. Do, does that speak to some kind of built-in optimism in the listener, or yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Well, you know, um, the first off, when he told me this question, I, my response was exactly like, of course she does. I mean, mm-hmm. why are you even asking the question? Like, the lyrics are, we're pulling out of here to win. And Jay says, mm-hmm. if you look at the original lyrics, it's I'm pulling out of here to win. Now, when he does it live, it's we. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't, I, you know, so I'm like all like, okay. And then I got to start thinking of, um, you know, The Princess and the Tiger, that short story that you've read in mm-hmm. high school yeah. about, like, they don't give you the ending. Um Sixty percent of the people say yes, yeah. uh, but forty percent of my listeners, the people who have been on the show, say no. That was um, bastards. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> some of them say, you know, um, and you know, they especially if they're a regular listen to the podcast, they know this question is coming, and yeah. they'll go like, um, you know. He like one guy said later when they're both older and he's grown, um, they do find each other. Um, Another guy which answered is, well, of course, she says yes, because later in Racing in the Street, when she says she sits on her daddy's porch, that's the same porch that she's dancing across. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, did not see that. And uh Two of my favorite answers, Andy, is someone said um, that Moonlight Motel is mm-hmm. the end of Thunder Road, that oh, he awesome. and Mary yeah. get in the car and they've spent their life together, and now then he's mourning her death after wow. they spent a lifetime together. Um, and then my, I, I, one of my favorite answers is the guy said, depends. I'm like, okay, depends. He says, if the full band is doing Thunder Road, <laughs> she gets in the car because the song ends answer. with right. this joy and this power. But right. if he's doing it by himself, acoustical, mm-hmm. she doesn't because you hear it's kind of sad at the end right. where he does that. So it just depends. So That um, reminds me of uh, yeah. what's the movie with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep, Doubt? Yes. Uh, he did that on the stage and I heard him interviewed once. I think it was on fresh air. Yeah. And he said he would play it different. Some nights he played it as if he was guilty and some nights he played it as if he was innocent. Oh, interesting. And she had asked him, do you know if you did or not? Of course. And he said, I don't know if the audience can tell, but I, my whole performance is affected by whether I know I did it or I know I'm innocent and it's subtle, but it informs, you know, everything he does on the, so that's like the reverse. You're yeah. saying, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a question about sure. Bruce performing live that I've always wondered about. Yeah. Do you think, it seems to me that most of the time when I hear live performances on Sirius, 
when he does um um oh for christ's sake the happy song on the river hungry heart okay um do you think he's a little embarrassed by the verse about you know leaving his wife and kids in baltimore you know because it seems like he always lets the audience sing that one so the the story um and and i believe this has been verified okay have you covered this a hundred times no never no i i've told this story before but it according to springsteen lore um is that very early when he was just starting to do hungry hard um he forgot the words one time oh and so the audience sang it for him Okay. and then he went oh okay and then sang it so um and you know how um traditions work because of some kind of weird mistake and happened mm-hmm. so that is yep. the lore of why he lets them do that first verse is because early in he forgot the words and they sang it for him and they okay. kind of did that um though that makes sense. I, I love your theory that because he's now happily married for all these years, yeah, it's right. like, oh, I don't know if I want to sing that one. So I just uh, wondered if you yeah. felt like it was kind of hackneyed, oh, this guy dumping his family, it's too, you know. Yeah. But the fans love it, so let them have it. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, um, I do know that um, Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys mm-hmm. – um, in an interview um, said, this is of course years ago because now Carol has left us, but um, he was talking about a, um, like a song, like he doesn't do lead on, but help me Rhonda. And he Mm -hmm. just was tired of singing help me Rhonda. Like if I have to sing (laughs) background on help me Rhonda again, I am just (laughs) going to just throw up. And all of a sudden in, it just, it hit him how much fun this is. Um, And then I, I love this story and this tells you how old I am. Um, Linda Ronstadt was on the tonight show back when Carson did it. And she was um, talking about, she went and saw Frank Sinatra for the first time Mm -hmm. and she was thrilled. She wanted to hear all the songs and she says, and it kind of woke me up because you know, I'll go, I don't want to do Blue Bayou again. I've done mm-hmm. Blue Bayou so many times. I'm so tired of doing Blue Bayou. And she goes, and then when I went to see Sinatra, I go, oh, wait, that's what my audience is feeling. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need to right. do these songs. So you wonder, you know, um, and, and you, you, you know, you like, that would be a question I would want to ask Bruce if I ever got right. a chance to interview him. Are there things that you are kind of tired of singing. I heard uh, him talk about Born to Run once in that context. Yeah. And he said, if I recall right, he said it was a drag for a while. And then he started to connect it to not just we got to sing this song everybody loves again. He started to connect it to the band's experience. Yes. And what putting that song together meant to them and how hard it was and how big it paid off. And so he, it 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 became more of a personal um, benediction, like guys, this is our these are our roots. Let's yeah. have fun doing it, you know. So he made it more personal in a way that still let him. Because if you sing it, if you hear him sing it 
live, he's all the passion is still there. Yeah. I think he just converted the source of that passion to something that still works for him so he can get himself excited about doing every night. Yeah, I remember several years ago they did a 60-minute uh, interview with him, and they interviewed the band, and, you know, they talked about the set list, um, you know, you just three letters, BTR. You know, you don't even spell it out. And, right. like, the, the, that was a big deal. And I'm like, that's not a big deal, right? Like, right. he writes 10th, you know, for 10th Avenue Freeze Out. But, um, right. and, and little Steven, and I think little Steven and Niels are, it was, it was two members of the band. I don't remember which one. Mm-hmm. So, I, except I know little Steven was there. And, um, and, you know, you play it. You know, you've played it thousands of times, and little Steven made a joke, and one time we're going to get it right. And he laughs, laughs, and little Steven says, he thinks we're joking. He looked over at Niels or Max or whoever it was. He says, he thinks we're joking. And so I always wonder about that. I wonder, do they not feel like they get it right? Um, I've had this discussion with Springsteen fans that, you know, especially people that have gone to multiple shows. You know, there have been people who have gone to 50, 100 shows, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, well, I, I don't need to see him. I don't need to hear Born to Run again. I, yeah. You know, that's a slot that I wish he would give, um, you know, something from, uh, you know, Incident or, you know, uh, something from, you know, Tunnel of Love or, you know, yeah. anything. And um, I go back to the phrase, right? Everyone's comic is someone's first comic. It's somebody's and, first show. And yeah. everyone's first show. And if you go to a Bruce Springsteen concert and you don't hear Born to Run, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, and I think as a, if you're tired of it as a fan, you have to do what Bruce has done. You have to convert it to some other kind of energy in your mind. You know? I, I agree. Yeah. Now By I the do, way, there were two, two yeah. things that happened really memorable the first time I saw him. Yeah. By the way, Magic remains one of my favorite Oh, I love Magic. It's old now, but I yeah. that, I put that album on, on a lot. Yeah. Um, he opened with Cynthia, which I guess he never does. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. And my wife is very, that's her name, and she's still pissed off to this day that I was there without her. Okay. And also, you know, people hold up signs in the crowd. Yeah. Somebody held up, and Bruce said it had never happened before. I don't know who he was just bullshitting. Yeah. It. Somebody held up, let Max sing. Oh, how funny. So Bruce cracked up. He said, that's a first. Somebody get a mic on this man. So it took him a minute to, yeah. you know, somebody ran out with the mic because he didn't have one. And they did uh, Boys, you know, that the Beatles did. Yeah. The, Talking about boys. Oh, how Max funny. Singing. Yeah, they that jammed that out. That is great. I always, um, gosh, that's a great story. Um, I always, being a big Beach Boy fan, when he, girls in their summer clothes, was such mm-hmm. a shock to me. I was like, God, this he's doing a Brian Wilson song. This right. is amazing. Um, gosh, that's a funny story. Um, talk about, um, and I've told this multiple times on the podcast, so audio, you know, listeners, I forgive me repeating it, but um, he was, it was in Houston, like in 2014. We had driven down from Dallas. We were at Houston show, and um, it was a good show. It was, you know. Uh, you know, pretty long show, and and at the end it was at the an outdoor venue, like their version of an auditorium, and mm-hmm. you know, so you know, there's all lawn seating, and there was behind it was a beautiful. So we're there, 
and uh, the show had ended, and Linda was going to the restroom, and I was waiting for her outside, and this very drunk lady, is it over? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's over. He played, you know, a little over three hours. Right. It's over? Yeah. He didn't do Born in the USA. Like, yeah, he doesn't often do Born But it's his biggest hit. How can he not do Born in the USA? <laughs> and so since then, Andy... Anytime I'm at a show and he does Born in the USA, I tweet, and somewhere there's a drunk lady in Houston very happy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, so um, you already mentioned Annie Parks on social media. Uh, do a search and look for you. Um, this was great. I, I hope you had a good time. I really did, and it was needed. I've, I've had a – I'm on our local school board here, and it's been a yes. stressful week. It's a – I can imagine. <laughs> it's not the most fun volunteer gig these days. So, yeah, it was very nice to – I poured myself a bourbon and Coke, and I've just been chatting about Bruce. It's been very, very nice. What kind of bourbon? So I don't believe in mixing uh, good bourbon. Right. So this is stuff I found that's pretty cheap called Henry McKenna. That okay, I sure, so yeah. Kind of right. like a Jim Beam level yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. All right, so I take it you're a bourbon fan? Yeah, very much. Okay, so – I may have to edit all this out because my because my <laughs> listeners are going Jesse. I know. Um, so, um, 2012, he's doing the Wrecking Ball tour, and mm-hmm. he's coming where nowhere close to Dallas, nowhere close to Dallas. And uh, my wife and I had not gone on a vacation together for years. You know, mm-hmm. we'd either gone with another couple, or we had gone with a boy. And so we had, and we like, we really want to get on a vacation, just her and I. And so I said, okay, I've got a plan. She goes, what's the plan? Well, in 2011, my father had passed away and he was buried in Radcliffe, Kentucky at a veteran cemetery there. Mm-hmm. And we had not seen the marker, you know, had not, isn't of course available for a while. And so we had not seen yeah. the marker and I said, okay, here's the plan. I said, we'll leave Dallas, we'll drive up to Kentucky, we'll see Dad's marker, we'll do, and when when we were there, you know, for the funeral, she had picked up the Kentucky Bourbon Trail brochure. Oh, I'm like, cool. okay, so I said, we'll do half the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. I said, we'll drive up. I have a friend, um, Tom Zoller, you may know Tom Zoller. Oh, yeah, yeah. he, uh... yeah. I've worked with him a couple times. He yeah. helped letter parts of my book, Capote in Kansas. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, so he and I have been friends for years, since 99. Uh, he's gone to the house when, when there was a local Dallas convention. So anyway, we drove all the way to Cleveland, stayed at Tom's house. Um, Bruce was playing in Cleveland. We went to the show. The next day, Tom took us to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We toured that. And then afterwards, we drove down and did the second half of the Bourbon Trail and came awesome. home. So we called it our Bourbon and Bruce Tour. That's awesome. And I've had someone go, that's the most perfect vacation ever. really is. Uh, yeah, because we got to go to all the, you know, we got to go to Four Roses. We got to go to, um, you know, the Buffalo Trace. We got to see them hand stop the Blantons. Uh, wow. You know, we got to go all these different bourbon uh, trails, Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, all these different. It was just amazing. And so we... Um, so then when he did the second leg of the tour, he was playing in Louisville 
Linda's like, get tickets, get tickets. So we drove back and we saw him in Louisville and oh, we got to do. Yeah. So um, Bourbon and Bruce is kind of mixed in Linda's mind. It's Excellent. like, yeah. And like when she went, she's like, they're, they're, they've got Woodford Reserve Bourbon at mm-hmm. the stadium here that we're getting to drink in Louisville. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's very nice. Oh, I'm jealous. I've never been to any distilleries down there. i got to do that someday. Oh, Andy, I, I will tell you, it is beautiful country, like Woodford yeah. Reserve. It's out in the middle of horse country. Um, Maker's Mark is filled with this, this beautiful campus. Um, so there is great, not only great scenery, but, you know, you get to talk about all the, the science and the art of making bourbon. Yeah. You do tastings, and it's just a wonderful um, there's set, there's eight or nine you know major distilleries, and if you go to all of them and get your passport stamped, you get a free T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> you mail off your passport, <laughs> and they send you back a bourbon Kentucky Bourbon Trail. So yeah, it's it's a it's a good vacation. Like if you wanted cool. to spend some time, that's good. All right. Well, I am glad you enjoyed your bourbon and coke. I am glad you had some fun talking to Bruce. Uh, please, my friend, anytime you want to join me. Uh, I, you know, if you want to promote your next project, let me know. Uh, I will absolutely love to have you on and we could talk about it, um, Great. whenever you need. And so for now, you know, take care of yourself and will if do. you need anything, listeners, you take care of yourself, please social distance, wash your hands, um, wear an effing mask, take care of <laughs> yourselves. It's not that hard, right? It's not that hard. <laughs> it really isn't that hard. Yeah, uh, and let's let's be good to each other, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. My pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at SetLustingBruce, and my personal Twitter is at DFW. We have a website, www.SetLustingBruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. Set Listing Bruce. Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.